Well, I figured you all could use a little break from Hebrews. I know I could use just a little break there. I love our study in Hebrews, but I have to tell you, it is very challenging. Uh, And I feel bad for you in some respects because it's overwhelming on that Sunday to be hit with all of that. I just ask you to bear in mind that I wrestle through it all week long to try and make it as as, uh, easy to understand as we can. It's a very difficult book uh, to get. So I'm hoping that you'll take the month of December and just kind of soak your brain in ice for a little bit, let that cool down, and then uh, we will come back to that again in January and discover God's wonderful new covenant with his people. Well, as we prepare for Christmas, sometimes I wonder if we've allowed the Savior to be stolen from our celebrations. Merry Christmas has been replaced with Happy Holidays. Recently in the news, a middle school on the East Coast sanitized a Charlie Brown Christmas. I don't know if you saw this or not, but they thought it was too divisive. And especially because of the overt scriptural quotations from the Gospel of Luke. A few years ago, another middle school canceled a field trip to a performance of a Christmas carol because someone might be offended by the Christmas Christian themes. Columnist Cal Thomas pointed out, this is not really even a Christian story, though it does contain elements of charity and kindness and goodwill. Amazingly, instead of allowing the students to see this classic Charles Dickens presentation, they went to see The Great Railroad Race, a play that promotes diversity. Cal Thomas wrote, does it really teach tolerance if we melt down Christmas into a single meaningless holiday? Related to this, there was an editorial that appeared in Chicago Tribune, which sums up how our culture's obsession with political correctness has gutted the greatness of Christmas. Now that December is here, I'm reminded that it seems the most taboo word in our country is Christmas. It's amusing watching people on the TV news and shows talking about Christmas, but going through verbal gymnastics to avoid even saying the word. Even with Santas, even the Santas with kettles greet you with happy holidays. The columnist remarked, when they say Merry Christmas, I'll give a donation. But let me say at the beginning that the Christmas narrative is in danger of being relegated to to a sweet story that we read just once a year. Some of us have heard it so much that we're no longer moved by the magnitude of God putting on flesh and becoming a man. We must never forget that this is truly historic and should be approached with awe and astonishment that the God of the universe put on human flesh and became a man. The astronaut James Irwin, who traveled to the moon, experienced things that you and I never will, and yet he never got over the magnitude of Christmas when he said, there's something more important than a man walking on the moon, and that is God walking on the earth. So we're going to pick up our story in the Gospel of Luke, if you're not there already. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, and we will look all the way through verse 38, Lord willing, about this angelic encounter between Mary and the angel Gabriel as she receives the birth announcement that will rock her life, if you will, and change the trajectory of human history. So turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, beginning in 
verse 26. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless our time together in his holy word. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, again for the grace upon grace upon grace that you shed in our lives. And Father, it's been a difficult week for this church family. Lord, many are hurting, the loss of dear friends, hurting for the grief, Lord, that those families are experiencing, praying for those, Lord, in those families who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, praying for those who do. Lord, with those believers, Lord, we share with them the mixed feelings of the loss of a dear friend here, our time together with them, but rejoicing in the fact that we know exactly where they are and that they're in the presence of you. And that, Lord, gives us great hope and great joy. So we share with the families in that feeling as well. But today, Lord, we're going to look at this miraculous event, this greatest gift ever to mankind. And so, Father, give us open hearts and minds to that wonderful truth. And Lord, help us to not just hear it, but then apply it to our lives in a way that brings honor and glory to you. In Christ's name we pray. So let's look at this together, shall we? The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. It says in verse 26, Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. So in the sixth month refers to Elizabeth being six months pregnant with John the Baptist. And the region of Galilee was not a politically correct choice. Not a very nice area, if you will. Judea was in the heart of Israel, while Galilee was up in the hills. And kind of the bit backward folks were up there. And Nazareth was a surprising choice because it was just a small, little, out-of-the-way town, and it was filled with corruption and immorality. Matter of fact, in John chapter 1, verse 46, Nathaniel summed up its reputation. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Although the city had a terrible reputation locally, this is where God has determined the Savior's earthly parents would reside from before time began. Look at verse 27 then. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So the woman that was to carry the greatest of all treasures was renowned, uh, not a renowned princess, but a young peasant virgin. In fact, verse 27 mentions that fact twice. And in verse 34, later on, after hearing what was going to happen to her, Mary herself poses the question, how will this be since I am a virgin? Talk show host Larry King once was asked the question, if you could select any one person across all of history to interview, who would it be? And King answered by saying he would like to sit down and talk with Jesus Christ. I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born, because the answer to that question would define history for me. There's no doubt that Jesus was born of a virgin and that he alone has defined history. 
And this was not just something thought of at the last minute. It actually was prophesied over 500 years earlier by the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, you see there, a descendant of David. Mary is about to be married to Joseph, who was in the legal family line of David. But Joseph became the husband of Mary, though not without some agonizing doubt when he found out that she was pregnant, because it's clear throughout Scripture that he's not the father. Matthew 1.16 is careful to specify that Jesus was born of Mary and was not the biological son of Joseph. Listen to this summary statement that appears right at the end of the Savior's family tree. Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. We'll look at verse 28 then. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you, or favored one. And that greeting is beautiful and powerful and personal. Because the word for favored here is used one other time, in the, and it's used in Ephesians 1.6, where it means to bestow grace upon. So in essence, God is saying, greetings, Mary, the one to whom I am about to bestow grace upon. So the angel recognizes Mary as a young teenager, who has accepted God's promises by faith and has been living out in quietness and peace and purity. And Gabriel tells her she is about to receive God's unmerited favor, to receive his grace. This greeting does not mean that Mary is so full of grace that she can forever bestow grace on others. The context here is that because the Lord is with her, that is why she's favored. That's what grace is all about. Verse 29 tells us, but she was very perplexed at this statement. And we can understand why, can we not? And kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. She wondered what kind of greeting this was here, highly favored one or Lord favored one. Mary was troubled because she did not think of herself as one who would be highly favored. She, more than anyone else, knew all about her shortcomings. But look at verse 30 there. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now in our, this next section from verse 31 to 38, we're going to see the greatest gift exchange in human history about to occur. So let's look first at God's gifts to Mary. Some say, incidentally, that the tradition of gift-giving started in Europe and eventually came to our country with the, uh, with, through immigration. Others propose that it goes back to the Magi who gave gifts to Jesus after he was born. I'd like to suggest it goes back a bit further because the first instance of gift-giving took place between Mary and God. It's really the first gift exchange. One came ready to give and was loaded down with presents. And the other one was caught off guard and had to make do with what she had. 
So as we come to verses 31 to 35, God gives seven gifts to Mary. Let's see if we can unwrap each one of them in our time left here. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The first gift that she got was that she would become pregnant. The first present God will give to Mary is a miracle. And though she is a virgin, she will be with child. That has to blow her mind, if you will. I wonder if she stopped breathing at this point. This was a promise that she had never seen before. She was going to become pregnant outside the normal process of conception. Just trying to wrap her head around that. Besides the word, you're, you're going to become pregnant. <coughs> had to be something very unprepared for. So gift number one, she would become pregnant. Gift number two, she would give birth to a son. And while the conception itself was miraculous, Mary was going to have a normal pregnancy and give birth to a baby boy. And he was fully human, so he would experience what every baby goes through. So contrary to the Christmas carol, no crying he makes. I'm sure he cried, just like every other baby. Matter of fact, uh, just to refresh our memory, turn to Hebrews chapter 2 for a second, but keep your thumb there in Luke. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 17, tells us that, doesn't it? Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God and to make propitiation for the sins of people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he had suffered, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Gift number three, his name will be Jesus. The birth announcement is being dictated to Mary even before she is pregnant. The Hebrew here is Yeshua, which is where we get our word Joshua, which means Yehovah, uh, salvation, or God save. Jesus, God saves us, or God saves. That was a very popular name. Because many parents wanted their baby to be named after the leader of Israel's conquest into the promised land of Canaan. Some parents even picked this name in hopeful expectation that their son would be the Messiah that they were all looking for. The great military conqueror who would uh, relieve them from their oppression. That's what they were thinking. But from the very beginning, her son was set apart as the Savior with his name chosen by God himself. God saves. Yeshua. In Matthew's Gospel, where Gabriel appeared to Joseph to clear up some of his confusion... The meaning of Jesus' name and his mission is clarified for us in Matthew one twenty one. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jehovah saves. The reason for Christmas is irrevocably linked to the redemption of our sins. The Apostle Paul captured the essence of the Incarnation in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. He said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he adds this little caveat, of whom I am the worst. 
When things are tough, cry out to Jesus. When you need forgiveness, call out to Jesus. If you want salvation, call out to Jesus. Because only he can give it to you. Acts 4.12 Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which men must be saved, or we must be saved. Gift number four. He will be great. That word great means exceedingly mighty, extraordinary. The infant to be born is the awesome Lord. The one who will be held by his mother is the same one who holds everything together by the word of his power. The star that eventually led the wise men to Jesus was hurled into the heavens by his holy hand. Hebrews 1, verses 2 and 3. You remember these verses? He tells us that Jesus has been appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. And that the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the power of his word. That is the baby boy that was announced by Gabriel that will be given birth by Mary. What a wonderful gift. Jesus is far and beyond greater than anything we think is great. John Piper puts it this way. If you took all the greatest thinkers of every country and every century and put them in a room with Jesus, they would shut their mouths and listen to the greatness of his wisdom. All the generals would listen to his strategy. All the greatest musicians would listen to his music theory and his performance on every instrument. There is nothing that Jesus cannot do a thousand times better than the person you admire the most in any area of human endeavor under the sun. This baby Jesus would be great in his love, great in his compassion, great in his sacrifice. He would live a great life. He would teach great parables and give great sermons. He would heal with great power and be a great example. He would die a great death and would be rescued in great power or resurrected in great power. He would give the great commission and ascend to a great height. He will come again in great glory. And he longs to make great changes in your life and in mine if we will let him. Gift number five. He will be the son of the most high God. Verse 32 tells us that. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Verse 32 refers to Jesus as the Son of the Most High. Verse 35 tells us he's the Son of God. Here's the mystery of the incarnation. Jesus is the Son of Mary and the Son of the Most High God. Fully God, fully man, and yet one. He is God's beloved. Remember, at his baptism, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. The title, Most High, if you remember uh, Pastor Ben's Sunday school, uh, when he went through the great names of God, El Elyon, God Most High. Talks about God's suppressor, surpassing supremacy in greatness. 
There was no one greater. There was no one higher. There was no one more powerful. There was no one who knows more. There was no one who loves more. There's no one who's more compassionate or more merciful or more gracious or more loving. There is none other greater than our God. He is sovereign in every dimension possible. To say that Jesus is the Son of the highest is to say that he bears the character and the nature of God. And he does that because he is God. Gift number six. His kingdom will never end. Mary, Mary's still trying to wrestle with the fact she's going to be pregnant and have a great child named Jesus, who himself will be the son of the most high God. But Gabriel's not done yet because now he tells her that Jesus will fulfill the prophecy given to David that someone will sit on his throne forever. Verse 33 tells us, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. This prophecy was actually given in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, in the great covenant that God made with David called the Davidic Covenant. God said, when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. And he is one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom for how long? Forever. Jesus has no term limits. He has an unlimited monarchy with absolute reign. The promise means that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the, this rule of grace and truth is established in the hearts and lives of those who have the God of Jacob as their refuge. He is king and is enthroned as Lord and leader in many lives today. Are you a child of the king? I hope you know you are. If so, do you bow before his lordship and obey his rightful rule over your hearts and your lives? When we come to verse 34, Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I'm a virgin? When we come to verse 34, I get the sense that Mary is having a little trouble processing this data, so she verbalizes a question that now is kind of coming to the forefront here. She's probably been thinking about it. You know, sometimes you listen when the other person is talking, but you're not really listening. You're just kind of formulating it in your head how you're going to respond. I think that's what's happening with Mary here. She, uh, she probably quit listening at the moment when, it said, uh, when the angel said, you're going to be pregnant. And then she kind of caught up when they said his name will be Jesus and be the son of the most high God. She's just kind of catching up. Then she says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? We know from Scripture she's not mocking the impossible, but instead asking a very practical question. And if you think about it, her response is really pretty amazing because a lot of women may have just ran away. She could have just run away and told Gabriel she had, that he had the wrong address or that there's lots of Marys here in the village of Nazareth. Very common name. I think you got the wrong one, Gabriel. Or perhaps you're mistaken. I don't know if you know or not. This is not possible. She could have responded with a lack of faith like Zechariah did when he was told by Gabriel that he was going to be a father. Luke one eighteen. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in her years. 
Zechariah Zechariah was really saying, I can't believe it. But according to verse 45 in our text, Mary believed, but we find her now to be confused and bewildered. Her question had to do with how it was possible, not whether it was possible or not. I'm giving you some hints into our Wednesday uh, Bible study into the Gospel of Luke. Zechariah wanted proof. Mary wanted to know how the process was going to go. If God was going to squeeze his awesome greatness into human flesh, it's no wonder she was filled with some questions. Gift number seven. He will be the Holy One. So Gabriel answers and makes it clear that the Holy Spirit will bring about this wonder in Mary's womb. Look at verse 35. He says here, The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Well, that answers the biological question. That word overshadow carries the sense of the holy, powerful presence of God and was used of the Shekinah glory. That was the same cloud of light by which God manifested his presence from a position above the Ark of the Covenant. Same word. This word is also used in reference to the transfiguration to describe the overshadowing of the cloud over the participants there, the transfiguration. Interestingly, the voice that comes out of the cloud at the transfiguration identifies Jesus as God's Son. Look at verse 35. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. As a result of his supernatural conception, Jesus will be called holy, perfect, free from all taint of sin. And this verse declares three things about the Savior, all which are absolutely necessary for salvation to happen. He had to be a man so that he could die, so he could identify with us. He had to be sinless to be an acceptable sacrifice for all man. And he had to be God. So he could live a sinless life. Jesus had to be born of a woman so he could identify and represent those he came to save. He had to be free from sin in order to make a sacrifice. He had to be God in order for sacrifice to be accepted. And his deity asserts that God himself has come to save us. That's the mystery of Christmas. That's the part we don't want to miss in all of this. This mystery of Christmas, the intrigue of the incarnation, the sinless man who is God, who has come to reveal who he is and reconcile lost sinners to himself. After pointing Mary to the miracle that took place in the life of Elizabeth, in, in verse 37, we see this verse here. Look at here. For nothing will be impossible with God. Some of you are in an impossible situation right now. Some of you have impossible physical things that you're working through that seem impossible. Some of you are in impossible relationships. You might feel you're in an impossible marriage. You might feel like you're in an impossible job, career, stuck in an impossible situation on how to get out from underneath of that. You may be faced with a pile of debt. You may be worried about a child or 
one of your parents. You may be longing for courage to face some trial in your life. You may be overwhelmed by life. Whatever it is, look at this verse and remind yourself what God has said. Nothing, say it together, nothing is impossible with God. Are you afraid? Nothing is impossible with God. Do you feel lost and lonely? Nothing is impossible with God. Is your marriage melting down? Nothing is impossible with God. Are you too tired to go on? Nothing is impossible with God. Do you wonder if you ever will get over your anger? Nothing is impossible with God. Ever wish you could just have your joy return to you? Nothing is impossible with God. Beloved, if God can reach all the way down from the throne of heaven and put on human flesh, if he can enter into time and space from eternity, if the infinite can become an infinite, tell me what exactly it is in your life that is too big for God. What is it again that's impossible for God to fix? What will he do in your life? So, for that first Christmas, God gave Mary seven gifts. A miraculous pregnancy. The promise of a son. A savior named Jesus, who will be great. Who will be the son of the most high God. Whose kingdom will never end. And who will be the holy one. Now, Mary didn't really have much she could give to God in exchange for these wonderful gifts. But she did have, and what she did have, she gave. I don't want you to miss this because we kind of skip over this in this narrative. The only thing she had to give back to God was her life. Look at verse 38. Mary said, Behold, behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She said, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me exactly as you have said. In other words, I don't get it. I don't even know how it's going to work. But because you said it, I trust it. Because you said nothing is impossible, I believe. Because your word tells me, through your word and through your promises, I will trust in you. Her giving involved two things. Voluntary servanthood. Mary is saying that the Lord is master over her life. It's an act of willful, submissive obedience. Lord, I will do what you tell me to do, even if I don't get it. I will trust in you. Whatever God wants her to do, she's willing to do. Someone said there's only two types of Christmas presents you usually get, those you don't want and those you didn't get. Actually, there are two other gifts this Christmas. There's the gift that Jesus packaged for you that you must receive. And the gift of yourself that God is waiting for you yet to give. One gift has your name on it, but it must must be received in order to make it your own. The other is a bit harder to give because it involves complete surrender. It really is a gift exchange. He gave to you. And now he waits for you to give yourself to him. 
Jesus exchanged his life for yours, but this transaction is only activated if you accept what he has done for you. Beloved, Christmas isn't so much what you get, but what you give. Have you ever given yourself to him? Because that's the only present you can offer, and it's the only one he wants. Are you ready to give yourself into God's hands and serve and obey him, not just at Christmas, but the rest of your life? Share the gift of yourself with the one who created you, the one who was born for you, the one who died for you. Can you say, do with my life as you please, Lord, because I am your servant, even when you don't understand? Lead me with your sovereign will to put me where you want me to do, to have me do what you want me to do when I'm there. All for your glory. Beloved, Mary's Christmas means Merry Christmas to you and me because she believed the impossible and committed herself to voluntarily serve and surrender in obedience. Will you participate with Jesus this Christmas in the greatest gift exchange in human history? Will you receive all that he's done for you and then give yourself to him? Or better yet, are you ready to exchange gifts with Jesus? Accepting the one he gives you and surrendering yourself as a gift to him. That's really what Christmas is all about, the great gift exchange. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. We often skip over, Lord, at Christmas time and kind of run through these passages and rarely take time to just kind of think them through, Lord. And so I ask, Lord, that you would be with us, that you would guide us and lead us through the truth of your word. And that this Christmas time, Lord, we would, we would dig deep and reflect upon you. And remembering what a wonderful gift we have received in Jesus. And help us, Lord, to respond in kind by surrendering ourselves and giving Jesus the only gift he wants from us. Father, thank you again for the truth of your word. Help us, Lord, to reflect upon these wonderful truths and to respond in a way that gives you glory. In Christ's name we pray.